I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about Brady's bravery and Trump shunning, impeachment and speech crimes, and the alliance of free states. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk to today's first five. I'm going to guess all of you know yesterday was the Super Bowl and in a really um, kind of, I guess, surprise outcome for people who follow sports and follow who's predicted to win. Uh, it was rather a trouncing uh, in the Super Bowl yesterday. You had Tampa Bay Buccaneers beating the Kansas City Chiefs by a lot. I sent Matt the wonderful little score thing we can put up so you can see the exact score. Okay, it was 31 to 9, Tampa Bay Buccaneers over Kansas City Chiefs. And this is not a sports show, so we're not really here talking about sports. What I do want to talk about is the fact that Tom Brady, who is a quarterback uh, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and uh, you know, previous long time before that quarterback for the Patriots, was also happened to be a longtime friend of President Trump. So leading up to the Super Bowl, there were there comments, commentary made online, on television, just by news sources, just basically, ah, oh, this is at Tom Brady, and, you know, he only recently moved to Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and, you know, he had been kind of this golden boy stellar career at the Patriots. And uh, when President Trump was, candidate Trump was running, uh, there were different times he was asked, you know, what do you think about, you know, Donald Trump being president, you know, think he'll be a good president. He said, yeah, I hope so. I mean, the guy, Tom Brady, is not political. He, he is an athlete. He's a stellar athlete. He had a fabulous game yesterday, as you saw, trounced uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. And the reason I want to talk about it on this show in today's first five is this. There has been concerted effort prior to the Super Bowl and even after the Super Bowl to criticize Tom Brady because he happens to be friends with former President Trump. There was a picture, very famously, at some interview in with Tom Brady in his locker room, and he had on the shelf behind him, very obviously inten intentionally visible, a red hat, Make America Great Again. So he's a Trump supporter. We really is, is a Trump friend. They play golf together, know each other, I think it was in 2003 or something. So the media has been trying to get Brady to denounce Trump. Will you denounce Trump? And he's like, hey, you know, he's my friend. I, you know, I'm, he's not really, he, Brady's not political. He just, he's my friend. And that was that. And so there was an opinion piece, a particular one I want to share with you. I mean, there were numerous things like this, but the USA Today ran a story, an opinion piece called Tom Brady has gotten an undeserved pass for his past support of Donald Trump. So even the headline acknowledges past support. You know, Brady, as, as Trump became president, things became controversial. Brady's like, you know, I, just not even into it when he's being asked questions by the media. You know, he's just not into answering. He's not his thing. You know, he wants to talk about sports and being a quarterback. So he got just, just this really snarky level, mean-spirited level um, coverage from the press about the fact that he remains pres uh, friends with, pre with former President Trump, won't denounce him, especially they kept asking him to denounce him as a racist. And Brady's just like, you know, he, he's a friend of mine and, you know, I'm going to leave it at that. I don't, you know, I, I'm not a political kind of guy. But Brady was just getting pummeled by the media saying essentially that because the media has decided to label President Trump as racist, that if Tom Brady won't denounce Trump, as racist, that Tom Brady himself must be racist. You see how the logic goes. The media, or as I often call them, the Democrat media mob, the, the massive media in this country that is in the pocket of the American left, decides on a label for someone, decides on the narrative, decides on the storyline, and everyone must comply. And, and they're told, by the way, Brady, you know, Trump's a racist and you need to denounce, denounce him or you're a racist and, and Brady's just not gonna play that game. There was this particularly ugly piece in the USA Today by Nancy Armour. Um, basically, really just, I mean, breathtaking in its audacity of making assumptions about someone else's thinking, talked about the fact that when Brady said, started saying in response to interviews, I want to stick to sports, basically, I'm not a political commentator, let me talk about football again. Uh, her comment was, how mighty white of him. 
how mighty white of him. Went on and on with just hysteria about, you know, his refusal to follow the orders of the Democrat media mob and denounce President Trump as a racist because we've told him he has to say that. Brady's refusal to do that was evidence in the mind of this lunatic leftist author as uh, as a symbolic or representative of systemic racism and white privilege. You see, Brady's white privilege because he won't repeat whatever the media tells him he has to say. That, that is the thinking. I mean, lunatic, and the article goes on and on and on. Ugly, ugly accusations about the idea that unless Tom Brady and anyone else they choose decide, will, will denounce President Trump in the way, precise way they are told to denounce him, then those people will also be painted with the same brush the media is using. On Tom Brady, if you watched the game yesterday, it was actually a great game. We, we did watch it um, at our home. And at the end of the game, you likely saw that when the game ends, as games, as they do at the end of every game, you know, the players are on the field, the coaches, the teammates, everybody hugging each other, shaking hands, you know, patting each other. I don't mean all just one team together and the other team together. I mean the two teams. They're, they're, you know, there were players who are black, white, uh, on both teams, hugging each other, hugging him. Uh, he was hugging them. I mean, the most, the, just the perfect picture of what America really is, which is a nation. All those people hugging him are basically saying, wow, great game. You know, he's, I think maybe he's the oldest quarterback ever win the Super Bowl. He's certainly considered to be very uh, past his prime in normal expectation in football and still a rock star quarterback. But what you saw in the field which is what America really is. It's a country that, first of all, football itself is a meritocracy. You don't get asked to play. You don't get signed. You don't get paid because your wife is a member of the Dars of the American Revolution or because of any other category of, of, of distinction other than your talent. It's a meritocracy. You get to play because you're really good. You're the best. That's why you get to play. It's a great thing about sports. So, Brady played the game, stellar game, you know, the usual, which is just where sports is filled with it, you know, just as the people who are on the field to play their game, their position, their team, and afterward in the vast majority of games, you see camaraderie uh, of people of every race, uh, skin color, national origin, hugging, you know, congratulating, cheering, consoling each other. This is the real world America. It was a beautiful thing to watch after the game. But there was continued pummeling um, of Tom Brady even after the game. This most unbelievable set of um, tweets, I'm not going to read them because they were just idiotic, except to say there were a lot of them making the point that Tom Brady should not have dared to win the Super Bowl during Black History Month because the quarterback for the other team, uh, who is also a stellar, stellar player, he appeared to be I think he was injured or slightly injured. He wasn't maybe on his best game. Patrick Mahomes uh, of Kansas City Chiefs, you know, very highly regarded athlete. Um, and so people were saying basically Tom Brady, further evidence of his racism and white privilege that he dared to win the Super Bowl during Black History Month. And I don't know if these people are aware, but I think the Super Bowl is almost always in February, which is always Black History Month. So what they're really saying is no white quarterback can win the Super Bowl again. Is that the point? I mean, the real thing is this just hyper focus on race. So absurd. So ridiculous. But how I want to tie this story into the rest of the show is this. What the Democrat media mob is doing, has been doing, is doing, and will continue to do is something I call in the caption of this segment, shunning President Trump. You know, I was reading a little bit this morning about the shunning thing that um, different religious groups have done where someone is out of line for some reason or falls in disfavor and they're shunned, meaning that they aren't allowed to go to the services or they aren't, or, and other people as part of that faith are told you can't not only do we all shun him, but you can't even talk to him. You can't defend him. You can't socialize with him. It's the whole thing. We're just going to kick you out of all normal life. That's what shunning is. And this is what the Democrat media mob is trying to say to America. They're trying to say, we've decided, we, the ruling class elite Democrat media mob in this country, have decided that President Trump must be shunned. So everyone, everyone who ever supported him, backed him, encouraged him, worked for him, agreed with him on any policy is to be shunned and scolded. And on top of that, 
is the shunning of everyone who worked with him. And far worse, it is the shunning of everything President Trump stood for. In order to erase President Trump's legacy, the determination of the left is to treat every single Trump supporter, Trump voter, Trump follower, Trump employee, Trump policy, Trump slogan, Trump agenda items, all of that, the left is saying, must be shunned. America is going to be treated as though they're being told by the Democrat media mob, you must simply ignore the very existence of President Trump and his policies and his agenda, his accomplishments. No, no more support, no more discussion, and you will be ridiculed if you don't play by our rules. This is the essence of tyranny. This is what the left is doing in Washington. We're going to talk more about this in the show. They're trying to say not just that, you know, Biden's president now, so let's all stop talking about Trump. They're saying every single argument, issue, and point any Trump supporter might want to make is not permitted. You cannot speak any further about Trump policies, such as America First, Strong and Secure Border. You most certainly may not speak about the idea that there was election fraud. This has become a topic about which every single American is being told in a whole host of ways by the American left, you can't even voice the words. You can't say that, you can't discuss it. It is going to become criminal if you dare even raise the question of election fraud. And I'm telling you friends, if the election fraud and voter fraud really never happened, the left will be clamoring to prove that to you. If there were no vote fraud and no election fraud, the left would be clamoring, screaming from the rooftops, demanding that every single issue related to the investigation, the election be investigated, that all of us look at all the proof that they can come up with, and we all would finally shut up. When the left is telling you no looking at election fraud, no looking at voter fraud, no listening to these crazies, using all of their tactics they always do to silence their, op their opponents, the shame and ridicule and scorn and mockery, all of that from the left just, just spewing out against anyone who dares challenge the left wing pronounced truth, the Ministry of Truth pronouncement that Biden won and there was no election fraud. Anyone challenging that is going to be in the crosshairs of the American left. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. I want to talk about today, um, we have a, um, I call it impeachment and speech crimes. There is, as you likely know, uh, happening right now as we speak in the United States Senate, there is the trial now uh, for President Trump, his second impeach impeachment trial, in which uh, the allegation is that President Trump committed incitement to riot or incitement to bring an insurrection by his words, by saying back on the very date of January 6th, the attack of the Capitol, that we should peacefully and patriotically go up to the Capitol. I mean, I wasn't there, but the people who were there should peacefully and patriotically make their way. The left is trying to criminalize and make that the subject of a successful impeachment because at its core, what they're arguing, what the left is saying is, anyone who dares raise election fraud is guilty of insurrection and incitement to riot. That's what they're trying to remove President Trump, who's already out, remove him because he talked about the abundant evidence of, of voter fraud and election fraud. Their argument is he is inciting the people because he's making the belie them believe this stuff about vote fraud and election fraud. So therefore he is responsible and uh, is, is his, you know, he's got a huge problem because he continues to say this, uh, even though we, the Ministry of Truth of the American left, have announced that this is not true and so therefore he can't say that anymore. But I want to go through some of the um, particulars that, that are actually going on. So um, starting with the impeachment, Rand Paul, who's just been a rock star in this particular era in, in American history, a rock star spokesman, a voice of sanity uh, among the Republicans in Washington. Uh, Ron Paul was, uh, excuse me, Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul was interviewed, and I have a short clip for Matt the Wonderful to play related to what Rand Paul had to say about the impeachment ongoing in Washington today. You know, I opposed the notion of, uh, which I think was a misguided notion of voting to overturn the election, either with Congress or with the vice president. 
But I think if we're going to criminalize speech and uh, somehow impeach everybody who says, oh, go fight to hear your voices heard, I mean, really, we ought to impeach Chuck Schumer then. He went to the Supreme Court, stood in front of the Supreme Court and said specifically, hey, Gorsuch, hey, Kavanaugh, you've unleashed a whirlwind and you're going to pay the price. You won't know what hits you if you continue with these awful decisions. This inflammatory wording, this violent rhetoric of Chuck Schumer was so bad that the Chief Justice, who rarely says anything publicly, immediately said this kind of language is dangerous as a mob tried to invade the Supreme Court. So if people want to call, hold President Trump accountable for language, there has to be a consistent standard. And to my mind, it's a partisan farce because they're not doing anything to Chuck Schumer, not doing anything to Representative Omar, not doing anything to Maxine Waters. It's just not fair. It's just partisan politics under a different name. Yeah, it was a very, very good commentary he gave. And I will say on this impeachment thing, it is very clear to this the Democrat majority in, this, in the House and the Senate, or it's 50-50 in the Senate, so it's a majority with Kamala Harris, but it's very clear to them that this impeachment will not succeed. They already know this. They know they will not get 17 Republican senators, which is what it would take to vote in favor of removal, assuming all the Democrats band together, stick together, which is not entirely clear. But if you got all the Democrats in the Senate, Senate to vote yes on, on removing President Trump under this impeachment trial, you still need 17 Republicans, and they know they don't have that. They already know that. So it's a completely show trial, a stunt trial. But it's even worse than that. This is what I'm gonna focus on today about this idea of what happens with respect to free speech in our country. What they're saying, Trump said, because he kept talking about this election was stolen. He kept talking about the stealing of the election. They're saying, even talking about stealing the election or that there was election fraud should be illegal. And this is in the course of the same discussion ongoing in which, as you, we talked about this last week, one day, uh, about the idea that the Democrats are now pushing in Washington an expansion of the meaning of insurrection. They're looking at a new law, a new regulations, expanding the term of what constitutes incitement to create, have an insurrection. And they're including in that language challenging the outcome of the election. They're saying that they're going to make it criminal for people to criminal prosecutable for people to challenge the outcome of the election, to say anything that undermines and challenges the outcome of the election. And you know, what's so crazy about it is that throughout our history, we've had Democrats in Congress and in the Senate and the House challenge elections. We had Hillary Clinton for four years and numerous other people talk about the election of 2016 was stolen, concoct an entire farce of the Russia collusion hoax, spent millions of dollars and hundreds of thousands of hours and taxpayer dollars funding a, a farce of a witch hunt. All of that having been cooked up by Hillary Clinton on her own. And all of that was actual intending to undermine the election, questioning the integrity of the 2016 election. But now all of a sudden, when they've got Biden in, they're actually talking about the idea that they want to have the uh, idea of even talking about free, talking about the election itself as, a, a, um, as something that could be prosecuted as committing insurrection. And I want to tell you something. There's a, um, they want to have new domestic terror laws and they want to expand the idea of what domestic terror means to include conversations they don't like. This is a huge battle in Capitol Hill. And I was gonna make probably the most startling announcement of today. I found something which um, I'm shocked to tell you, but I found something on which I actually agree with Rashida Tlaib, the Democrat squad member, Democrat socialist, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib is saying, I'm leading the call for national security powers to not be expanded in light of the attack on our nation's capital that occurred two weeks ago, as such measures often lead to the erosion of America's civil liberties. She's right. She's right. It's amazing the, the kind of you know strange bedfellows now emerging in Washington. But her point 
is if you start to expand domestic terror to mean and therefore to be enforced by whichever administration has authority, has power, you're going to begin to suppress free speech. And I'll tell you, my caveat is Republicans would never enforce this against leftists. Leftists will enforce this against patriots, conservatives standing up for America. So she's, so right now where they stand is kind of an interesting thing. They had a big uh, pronouncement made. 135 civil rights organizations in Washington banned, or, or spoke in Washington, banded together to issue a statement opposing the new domestic terrorism uh, definition, possible law, regulations. They're saying, do not expand. These are civil rights groups, mostly on the left, ACLU types, leftist groups, don't expand domestic terrorism in the way you're talking about because you're going to end up hurting free speech for people who, for whom they care about their free speech. To be very clear, this statement by all these groups, um, I mean, it's actually it's called the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights. It's a coalition of diverse membership, more than 220 national organizations to promote and protect civil and human rights. These groups are saying to Biden, to the Biden team, to Washington, don't go expanding domestic terrorism because you're going to hurt us. Now, to be very clear when you read their statement, they're just saying, find other ways to crack down on what they think is the big problem of white supremacy in this country. These civil rights groups, they think, they say there's a huge problem with white supremacist movements. So you got, we're with you. Crack down on them. But don't put some law out there that might be used against us. So, you know, they're saying to the government, Use your power to shut down our political enemies, but don't do anything that might hurt our speech. And it's a really tough thing, very tender thing. So you have these groups, 135 of them. Then you also have a, a bipartisan group of members of Congress who are saying they do want to expand domestic terrorism laws to talk more about what constitutes threat, what should be considered domestic terror. When you read that pronouncement we read a couple weeks ago, we had a guest, Kyle Scheidler was on the show, I think, with us talking about how dangerous this broad and vague definition was that was being put out, uh, floated as an idea of how to define domestic terrorism, and it included, you know, people who challenge the election outcome as domestic terrorists. But so we're in this point where they're trying to, they obviously, everyone denounces the violence at the Capitol. Everyone understands huge problem, huge problem to have the violence at the Capitol. You got to crack down on that. One point the civil rights umbrella group is saying is, look, you already have plenty of laws on the books, plenty of laws. You have laws that outlaw everything that occurred on January 6th, and you should have those laws, and you should prosecute people, and they should not be behave behaving this way. They should, I mean, everyone's saying, yes, you have to prosecute the people who actually commit crimes, and we already have laws for that. The danger in passing more laws is when you get to have a... a tyrannical, like we have right now in Washington, completely leftist control of our country, a leftist controlled government bound and determined to shut down anyone who doesn't agree with them. As I go back to my point from the first segment today and talking about Tom Brady, who just happens to be a great quarterback and happens to be a longtime friend of Donald Trump. What you're seeing now, it isn't yet that the government is on his case, but the, you know, the cabal of the left, the radical left that runs our country, that controls media in this country, that controls social media in this country, that controls much of corporate America, all of them are saying, all of them are saying that they denounce and are outraged that they cannot force Tom Brady to denounce President Trump as a racist. All of them think they should have the power to tell a private citizen what he has to say, and at the very least, if he won't comply, he can be, you know, raked over the coals. Now, actually, you know, he's successful. He's got plenty of money. He doesn't really care, probably in terms of being threatened. But the concept of beginning to agree that the government can define what political speech you can make and, and define it in a way that has so much arbitrary and, and, and vague terminology included that you really have no idea what's permissible. Now let's turn what happened. I don't know if you all even knew this, but in Washington, D.C. on Friday night, massive protests. Not the MAGA people, not the Trump supporters, not people saying that they, wanted, they thought the election was stolen. 
you had a Black Lives Matter and Antifa violent protest in Washington on Friday. Now, you may be listening to this and thinking, hey, I didn't see this. No, the media is not going to keep you informed about this because this kind of story doesn't play into their narrative of the left being wonderful and the conservatives being the problem. But you had actually in Washington this group of I would call them domestic terrorists, Antifa and Black Lives Matter, uh, protesting in the streets. I sent Matt the wonderful several clips. Let's play the first clip, Matt. Okay, they are going through the streets of Washington yelling, burn it down. Antifa, Black Lives Matter. And they've already got Biden in the White They've got their team. They've got control of everything. They're still doing this. And they're yelling, burn that down. Is that domestic terrorism? I mean, I think someone could argue that. I can guarantee if that was a you know, pro-Trump MAGA group yelling, uh, burn it down, you would soon discover they would be happy to claim that was domestic terrorism. They also were hassling private citizens. The second clip I sent, Matt. Okay, there was another thing. I decided not to play it because I just simply cannot stand Jake Tapper at CNN. Cannot stand him. But he gave a long monologue. I think, Matt, did I send you the picture of the, the, yeah, okay, look at this. This is Jake Tapper. This is his, uh, I think his show is called State of the Union. Anyway, he has this statement. If there's no accountability and no attempt by the Republican Party to stop these insane lies that have taken root in their party, this is not going to be the end of the MAGA terrorism. This will only be the beginning. If you listen to the whole clip, what he's saying is MAGA terrorism consists of anyone actually discussing or raising the question of whether or not vote fraud or election fraud occurred. You have to see where this is headed, people. You, you have to grasp this. This is the, we're way past the beginning. We are down the path of tyrannical speech control, down the path of the left going to decide who can say what and who better not ever say anything and what cannot be talked about. And you cannot talk about anything that they don't want you to talk about. In that little monologue that was, you could, if you see that clip or you can find it in line, you can hear what Jake Tapper had to say. He wants criminal liability for people like Ted Cruz. And, and Josh Hawley, anyone who is, in his words, challenging the legal outcome of the election. He's saying no one can challenge it. People, any time anyone is so, any group like the American left is so determined to shut down every possible challenge to an election, you ought to be wondering why. You ought to be wondering why do those people, why are they so fearful about getting to the truth about the election? Let the evidence come out and, and, you know, and make everyone who's ever questioned the election admit they were wrong. I'd be fine with that, whichever way it came out. I just know as I've watched this election cycle since November 3rd and all the information we discussed in this show that you cannot get people on the left to agree that there is any justification for re-looking at anything in this election. And another example of how you apply this domestic terrorism label, Cori Bush, a new member of the United States Congress, she uh, is, is big into, she, she quotes a language, a riot, this is a tweet she put out, a riot is the language of the unheard. Okay, so she's encouraging her constituents. Uh, she talks about rioting. Um, I want to talk to my constituents in the window. Their lives, their rights have to be protected. My team and I are working to ensure the urgent needs of people who are incarcerated are not ignored. This is Cori Bush, uh, member of U.S. Congress. Uh, and then so you had a, a major, major um, uh, prison riot. I don't know what term you spell. Yeah, prison riot. You had over 100 inmates in St. Louis erupt into a prison riot on Saturday, flooded the detention facility, smashed windows, launched items out of the building from several stories high, including chairs, mattresses, and even a stationary bike. St. Louis mayor estimated, um, uh, said about, it was about 115 inmates involved, very violent, extremely violent, um, and their congresswoman, this, this is the same one, Con Cori Bush, a uh, woman, member of Congress, I think she's first term, 
And I think she's part, of, I'm pretty sure she's part of the um, cabal. I mean, the, um, you know, AOC's group, the leftists, um, the squad. She expressed solace and concern for them, uh, for the rioters. And so now, is she supposed to be considered guilty of domestic terrorism? I mean, where does it end? You hear all the other examples you talk about in the show. It's a very dangerous time when the left is go- willing to use the fear they create by domestic, the term domestic terrorism to penetrate society so that all of us think we better not talk about any topics they say we can't talk about. We better not uh, raise any issues. We just better not keep your head down. An additional thing that is happening in Washington, and I sent, I think I sent Matt the wonderful picture of the fencing around the Capitol. If I, okay, I want you to look at that beautiful Capitol, by the way. I love Washington. I went to law school there. I love Washington. In fact, Georgetown Law School, as an aside, is very close to the Capitol. It's not over in Capitol Hill where the rest of Georgetown campus is. It's right on Capitol Hill. And walking from my uh, apartment, my, my uh, you know, rented townhouse with other students in law school, I would literally walk from my, uh, in the winter, all, all seasons, from this townhouse we rented, right in front of the Supreme Court, right past the U.S. Capitol, often cutting through the Capitol grounds to get to Georgetown Law School. It was the most inspiring place, but I digress. Look at that beautiful Capitol, and surrounding it is, you see that fencing, barbed wire on the top, and so there was an interview. So this is what our capital looks like. And obviously the people who put it up are claiming, the left is saying, well, look what happened on January 6th. We had to do this. I mean, look at these crazy, look what they did. They broke into the Capitol. Not defending January 6th violence. It was wrong. It was wrong for the Trump supporters who did it, the, the, the ones who committed violence. And it was wrong for the Antifa and Black Lives Matter people who committed violence and were part of it. Wrong for all of them. You can't commit violence. That's not how we saw things. I get this. But that kind of wrap around the Capitol, I didn't hear any. And National Guard troops, by the way, something like 25,000 National Guard troops are in Washington on the ground guarding the Capitol. Over the whole year of 2020, at least a big chunk of it, six or seven months of 2020, we had consistent, out of control, violent mob rioting in city after city after city. We had police departments overtaken. We had police officers murdered. We had cars burned and stolen, stores, windows smashed, looted. People lost the businesses they spent their whole life building. You never heard one person in the Democrat media mob on the left ever say, wow, I wonder if we should step in and try to protect those innocent Americans from the left, from the leftists who are Antifa and Black Lives Matter. You never heard them saying, well, we've got to do something to protect them. In fact, when Donald Trump talked about sending in the National Guard, that was considered an act of terrorism on the part of Trump because he would dare shut down the violent mobs by using the National Guard. So the left found it offensive and unacceptable that Trump even floated the idea of putting in National Guard troops in some of these extremely dangerous areas, but they can have National Guard and fencing around the U.S. Capitol. I mean, the double standard is mind-blowing. So uh, one of the um, senators was interviewed this weekend, uh, Maria Bartiromo, Ron Johnson. I wanted to play a quick clip by him and then talk a little bit more about what's happening at the Capitol, but here he is. I actually appreciate what uh, the former uh, chief of police of uh, Capitol Police, uh, Stephen Sun, sent in the letter, and he, he lays out you know, the diligence that he undertook to uh, provide security around the Capitol. And it seems like he took pretty reasonable precautions. He's obviously being one of the state scapegoats here, but Senator Graham and I have called for a completely independent investigation to find out exactly what happened. And it's, it's amazing, it's a, a month has gone by and we still don't know, and yet we have these eight foot tall fences with concertina wire completely surrounding the Capitol. Uh, we've been told they're gonna be put in place since, you know, till March at least. Uh, listen, the, 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 the Capitol is the people's house. It, it shouldn't be barricaded unless there is some real uh, threats that I'm not aware of, that they're not telling us about. Uh, I, I think we ought to take that, uh, that fencing down and return to as normal uh, position as possible. I, I think the fencing is, being, remain, is remaining in place to send a signal, to, to a narrative that 74 million Americans that voted for President Trump are dangerous to our democracy. They're all insurrectionists, and that's simply not the case. 
And this is exactly the point what I want to get to in kind of wrapping up this segment. The purpose of leaving that up is not really because the people inside the Capitol are so extremely fearful for their lives. The Capitol Police are perfectly capable of protecting the Capitol. He, Senator Johnson, has a great point. Why is it we're over a month later after January 6th and we don't have answers? We don't have explanations of why when they received notice way ahead of time there might be a problem. Why didn't they have sufficient people in place? Many unanswered questions. And he's saying, you know, and a month later, we, we have no idea. We, don't, we can't seem to get to any answers. And, but the point he made last, what I wanted to hit on again, I, I think that it's impossible for the American people, to, for anyone to overstate how much the left is using the events of January 6th and using their vilification of President Trump to manipulate the American people into thinking that every, that Trump supporters are, you know, all 75, whatever the number is, some say more than 75 million voted for him. All those people are crazy. They're all violent. They're all insurrectionists. They're all likely to show up tomorrow and do something terrible. So, you know, in order to keep our government safe, they have to have a fence. Keeping the fence up is a message to the American people two things. One, the broad swath of American people are supposed to more deeply and deeply uh, believe in, embrace the idea that every single Trump supporter is a lunatic, violent person who simply cannot be permitted freedom to be up at the Capitol because they might do something crazy. It is to, re it is to reinforce the message of the left that Trump supporters are crazy. That's point one. And point two, it's a message right to the Trump supporters. Don't you even think of participating in any way in the political process. It's not just the fence that is the message to the Republican voters the, and to the Trump supporters. It is the entire conduct of the Democrat Party in Washington, expanding the definitions of domestic terrorism, attacking anyone who seems to have been supporting Trump at all, you have the former Trump employees in the White House uh, shun being told they can't be looking for jobs. You have the whole message of the left is to the Trump supporters and voters. You may not have, you have no validity. You may not speak. You may not, you're done. Your guy is gone. You were wrong to support him. We're going to shun him. We're going to shun you if you support him. We're going to shun his agenda, his America First agenda. Everything about him is to be shut down. That is the message of today's Democrat Party. There were 42 uh, members, I guess somehow, for, all House members, 42 House members uh, sent a letter to Nancy Pelosi saying, I think it's time for the fence to come down. Uh, the, the Democrats benefit from the fence, benefit from the look of it. As, as a scary signal about who Trump supporters are. So they'll keep it up as long as, as they can. Um, and, and the last point I was going to make in this and wrap up this segment was I mentioned about how the concept of shutting down the Trump agenda includes not just shunning him and shunning his supporters, but shunning anything he stood for and shunning the idea that there could even be a conversation about election fraud and vote fraud. But there was a little bit of good news out of the Supreme Court. Um, we'll know more about it later in the week. But on February 19th, the Supreme Court has a conference. February 19th, Supreme Court conference. And at that conference, the Supreme Court has announced it's going to be reviewing cases related to election fraud. So it's going to be reviewing, in particular, Sidney Powell's case in Michigan, the Trump campaign's case in Pennsylvania, and the Wisconsin lawsuit, the Pennsylvania lawsuit brought by Representative Mike Kelly and Lynn Wood's case in Georgia. So the Supreme Court is consolidating those cases. And I don't know yet what that means in terms of a conference. And because normally at the Supreme Court, uh, there is no presentation of evidence. They're just reviewing issues of law, issues of law, not fact. And so they're reviewing cases on appeal from the lower courts. Um, but this conference involving all these disparate cases with, with a disparate set of facts, I don't know if they're somehow open to uh, actually looking at uh, what evidence has been, because so far, as we talk about in the show, no one can present any evidence. So there's some indication the Supreme Court is going to do something on February 19th, take a closer look, um, and then we'll all figure out um, what, where we're going to go from there. 
Last thing I want to do today, my last quick topic was, uh, and I think it's just a, um, I call it Alliance of Free States. I wanted to tell you a little quick story. So over the weekend, um, Trevor Loudon was in Dallas. You know the name Trevor Loudon? He's been on my show before. Uh, great, great guy. Uh, he's a, from New Zealand, native New Zealander. Uh, he lives in America now. I believe he has joint citizenship, but he spoke in Dallas and we had for a variety of reasons, a time, a long time period to sit down and talk with him. My husband and I did one-on-one. -on -one. And so I learned a lot of things from him. And one thing we were talking through, and he mentioned this speech he gave in Dallas on Saturday was, you know, what do you do when you can see what, where the left is headed? I mean, you have, he is heavily into and can trace the Communist Party and Communist Organization in America money and control into Black Lives Matter, into Antifa, into the voter registration groups in the various swing states that made all the difference in the world. He can trace, he's a researcher extraordinary, extraordinaire, and he can trace actual communist, Chinese Communist Party and communist front groups in America funding and orchestrating an enormous number of elements in this most recent election cycle. And he does that. I, I don't have it ready to present today, but I will tell you, we're talking about, so what do you do? Here we are in 2021. We have, you know, we have the, um, the people, his language, communists take over of America, communist controlled elements in charge of many aspects of America. Most Americans don't realize that Biden voters, many of them just think they voted because he seems like a nice doddering old grandfather and he probably won't do that much harm. But the serious Americans who realize the danger we're in, how serious the threats to future liberty are in America, they talk about what is it they do. So he has some ideas, and some of these, I'm, to, I don't, to be fair to him, some of these are his ideas, some have been mine, I'm just kind of um, gel them together and just set out some ideas for people who want to do something besides just sit and watch our country uh, be rolled over, be steamrolled over by the communist movement that has, ta that has taken complete control of the Democrat Party um, and is in control in Washington. So his ideas were, and I wanted to share a bunch of them. He talked about the idea of a, an alliance of free states. What he's getting at is this idea that, you know, all these states that supported uh, our Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton when he filed a case before the Supreme Court, uh, basically challenging the election, the uh, presidential election. There were 17 other states, or maybe 17 total states, that uh, were joined in that lawsuit. So there are Republican majority states, red states that know the election was stolen, Republican majority states who do not want the impending tyranny. So number one, a loose organization. This is not talking secession. This is not talking civil war. This is not talking violence. This is talking strategy, just like the leftists did the moment Trump was inaugurated. They worked for four years engaged in strategy to undermine everything he did. The left engaged in strategy unrelentingly for four years under President Trump. This is what we're talking about now is what conservatives can do who want to hold on to their republic. One is create a loose alliance of the free states, or whatever you want to call them, the constitutional states, the ones that still want to follow the Constitution. Coordinate things. One is H.R. 1, the bill in the United States Congress that is essentially the mandating vote fraud techniques be permitted in every state. There, there's, it's nothing short of that. It has some happy sounding leftist label like For the People Act, but HR1 is all about mandating the states permit every single bit of election fraud they possibly can, eviscerating election integrity protections. That's what that bill is. So if this alliance of free states would join together and say to Congress, Congress, Constitution says that the state legislatures make election law. So therefore, we are telling you, we are not going to comply with HR 1. Put them on notice now. We're not going to comply with HR 1 because it is unconstitutional. The Congress does not run our elections and we're gonna run our elections in our states based on what is true and right. So resist HR 1 as an organized fashion. Pass election integrity. We had Texas State Senator Bob Hall on the show last Thursday. He ran through the legislation he has in mind. Since then, I've talked to a few other people. But get election integrity legislation passed in the red states because there are many loopholes that can easily be covered, many fixes that can be done. Number three, longer term, take back election. 
bolster the election, I mean education, bolster education, public education in the red states so that they are no longer accepting federal dollars. Because once you don't have to accept federal dollars in education, you can go back to teaching in your state the true history of America. You don't have to teach the I hate America agenda that the left has just foisted on America's school children now for decades. We wonder why kids leave high school and college hating America, hating freedom, hating capitalism, because we pay for the education that taught them to think that way. So help the states pull back from needing any federal dollars for education so we can restore the agenda of teaching the truth about America's history. Enforce your own borders. Here in Texas, many people are calling for the Texas governor to begin to use our National Guard at the Texas border. We have a, a show coming up talking about the crisis at the border. Crisis doesn't begin to say it. You know that interview we had earlier with uh, Senator Ron Johnson? In an earlier part of the interview, he mentioned that the media isn't even reporting it, but our southern borders are again porous. We had something like in the range of 3,500 people crossing a day recently and and because President Biden has gotten rid of uh, the President Trump order that stopped them and made them figure out what their status was, Biden has restored cash and release. So these people come over the border, they are caught, they say, hey, okay, you're released, go wherever you want, but hey, show up for your hearing next Tuesday, and we all know how that goes. So enforce your own borders, end open primaries. There, there is a, a, a part of what I wanted to say at the beginning of this, I'm gonna say it right now, there are 75 million American voters, MAGO voters, who have a lot of power. We're not in power in Washington. We don't have the White House or the Senate or the House. We have 75 million MAGO voters who can do a lot of good in their own states by pushing legal means of standing up for the ideas of America. So the 75 million MAGO voters can be active in their own states. Another one is ending open primaries, um, which means in many states, whatever party you're registered with, you can vote in, in any primary. So a Democrat can vote in a Republican primary, vice versa. And as you likely know, Democrats, especially Republicans have done it too, uh, play games with primaries and urge their voters like the Democrats urge their voters in the primary, go vote in the Republican primary because we're trying to squeeze out this really great uh, MAGA candidate that we don't like. We want you to vote for the milk toast guy. And so they use primaries to manipulate the outcome of elections. That was another uh, great thought he had. Um, and I'm going to develop this list and share it with you. I started working on it. But we should, in the next two years, be targeting vulnerable Democrats who got elected from red states. There are vulnerable Democrats elected from red states. There are vulnerable Republicans who are rhinos, who never sit up for anything. Focus on them. Find someone to run against them. If you get involved in one campaign and you work your heart out for two years, you are doing a lot to get somebody, a, a Democrat out of office who vote with the Pelosi agenda and a Republican in office who will vote with the MAGA agenda. And his... Uh, this is Trevor Loudon's language, run MAGA candidates against them. But we have to, while we have Americans more awake than they've been in decades, we have the MAGA Republicans, the red state Republicans who are saying, you know, we had a president who was finally standing up for us. And, um, and you know, let, before we lose the steam of that, we've got to be telling people there are things you could be doing besides sitting home and wringing your hands because we have President Biden and not President Trump in the White House. I'm going to develop that more and actually give you some uh, uh, specific names and people you could be following and considering whether you could find a can to run against them. You know, this is, this is the nuts and bolts of politics, my friends. I've been involved in politics for a while, been involved in campaigns and primaries and all sorts of things like that. And I'm telling you, it just takes time takes time to do this. I want to, before I turn to why it matters to you, give a brief little uh, honoring of a friend of mine who passed away yesterday. Uh, and I think that Matt, the very wonderful, has his picture up. This is Congressman Ron Wright. Congressman Ron Wright was from North Texas. Uh, he has actually a friend. Um, and we did a fundraiser for him in our home um, and back him. We saw him at events all the time. Uh, Ron Wright has been battling cancer the last couple of years. Uh, very noble, very gentle. You know, he's a great was a great uh, member of Congress and, and a candidate because he is very principled, very moral, and it has a very gentle demeanor, but rock solid, clear thinking. So this is Ron Wright, passed away yesterday, unfortunately, 
Uh, he had cancer for a couple of years, and then he came into contact with COVID. And um, for a variety of more detail you don't need, he ended up, he passed on from COVID yesterday. Just a, a, a noble American, a member of Congress, wanted to you know, say thank you for his service and sorry to his family. He'll be missed in Washington, in Texas, and by his family. Okay, so now I want to, at the close of every show, I always tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So, we start our show today uh, with the story of Brady, and this is Tom Brady, quarterback, <coughs> excuse me, excuse, <coughs> excuse me, uh, quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Trump shunning. Tom Brady's friendship with Donald Trump dating back to 2002, 13 years before Trump entered politics, made Brady into a target of left-wing media and lead up to the Super Bowl. Brady shrugged it off, wouldn't be baited, a friend is a friend. The national mainstream media left-wing frenzy is to mock, shun, denounce, and rage against anyone who ever claimed to support Trump in any way and to brand them as a racist. Brady delivered at the Super Bowl. It was a fabulous game. And his teammates of every skin color embraced him for it. The Tom Brady is a racist accusation is disgusting and false. The manufactured rage against Trump is actually rage against the American people standing up to the ruling class. That is what the ruling class fears. And Trump is the useful whipping boy to silence the 75 million Americans who voted for him, for Trump. But we're not going to be silenced. On the impeachment and speech crimes, Antifa in Washington, D.C. this past weekend, threatening restaurant patrons and chanting, burn it down. Same chant throughout the summer of 2020. Democrat argues a riot is the language um, of the unheard, that was Rashida Tlaib, and she was quoting, she said, Dr. Martin Luther King, I didn't ever check if you actually said that, but she was attributing, attributing that to him. Uh, so Rashida Tlaib argues a riot is the language of the unheard, sparking the St. Louis prison riot. Are these the words of domestic terrorists? Jake Tapper, CNN, wants anyone who questions election results to be held accountable. Americans are receiving a real-time re-education on freedom of speech as the foundational protection against tyrannical government making crimes out of whoever disagrees with them. Will enough Americans learn soon enough? And on the alliance of free states, Trevor Loudon's concept for America's survival, not about secession, not about law breaking, it is about law affirming 10th Amendment rights of states. Remember 17 states joined Texas lawsuit at the Supreme Court challenging state election law regularities it's about organized resistance to unconstitutional federal overreach. Federalizing election law is squarely unconstitutional, absent actual amendment to the Constitution. So all states should oppose H.R. 1. Opening borders goes against state-level security. Tell governors of border states to enforce with state resources. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. America Can We Talk, truth about America.